Welcome to the Rich With Purpose podcast, the finance podcast that's about more than just money. I'm your host, Taborjan Rasaya, financial advisor to hundreds of successful clients over the years. In each episode of this show, I speak with other experts in the complex world of money and finance, and together we discuss how you can ensure you make smart decisions with your money. Even more importantly, how to connect those decisions with your values and your purpose in order to achieve everything that is most important to you. Please note that everything we discuss is not personal advice, but general in nature. For the full disclaimer, please visit our website, richwithpurpose.com.au, where you can also register your details to get access to all our free resources. And please hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. In today's episode, I speak to David Heinz. David is the founder and principal of Global Advisor Alpha a business-to-business consultancy that helps leading global advice businesses become world-class. What sets David apart, however, is his prior three decades as a top financial advisor, initially with his own firm and then with what became a listed wealth management business. I've had the pleasure of knowing David for most of my career and also working very closely with him for nearly 10 years. In this episode, we discuss David's concepts of above the line and below the line moving from money to meaning and from product to people. And although below the line has to be done very well, we discuss how both advisors and consumers gain so much more when they also focus above the line. We also talk about the importance of lifelong cash flow modeling, the process by which people can understand the many trade-offs that exist in life and therefore make far better decisions with money, leading to the idea of building a picture of your financial future. And make sure you listen to the end where David tells us about his own purpose and how he is going about achieving it. So if you're interested in learning more about how to build a picture of your financial future, you will enjoy this episode of Rich With Purpose podcast. Welcome to the Rich With Purpose podcast, David Heinz. Abortion, thanks for having me and great to be here. Great to have you on, David. Now, David, we've worked together for many years. Uh, We share many of the same values. Uh, We've approached helping many people, hundreds of clients over the years, uh, using many of the same approaches because they really help people in making good decisions with their money. And uh, as you know, as, as we've spoken about, the reason I started this podcast is to share with more people and to try and help more people see the benefit of thinking about money from a broader perspective, really about their purpose and their values in life. And uh, you do have a phrase uh, that you use a lot, you know, thinking of above the line and people should be thinking above the line and below the line. We're going to get into that a little bit later, as well as talking about uh, how some of the tools and strategies that we use in order to help people uh, navigate their financial lives. But before we do that, David, I'd, I'd love you to just give our listeners a little bit of background. You're an advisor for many years, very successful, uh, not advising at the moment. But firstly, how did you, you know, what, what got you into financial advice in the first place? 
Well, uh, thanks, Tavorjan. Uh, you know, everything's, I guess, an interesting story when you reflect on on questions like that and 31 years in financial advice. I, I'd finished a degree. Uh, I'd qualified to become a teacher. I taught for a few months, but I, I never really wanted to teach and was ne never really overly excited about that. Uh, but my father just happened to be an actuary. And uh, uh, so for those that don't know what an actuary is, that's a particularly smart mathematician uh, in insurance companies uh, doing lots of complex calculations. And um, I remember uh, uh, my father's a man of few words that I respect enormously. And I, I said to my father, well, you know, now that I've got that degree, that's great, but I really don't know what I should do. What do you think I should do? This is in the late 80s. And there was uh, this thing in Australia called compulsory superannuation that was about to start. And he said, uh, he said, this superannuation industry is going to be enormous and it needs good advisors. They're going to be great at communicating complex things to mums and dads around Australia. So uh, what got me to advice was, was that phrase saying that there's this superannuation wave that's about to take off and you do plenty worse than get involved in that. And, you know, the big players in the industry back then were, you know, National Mutual, AMP, uh, Colonial Mutual, MLC. Um, and, uh, and so I joined one of those companies and what became obvious to me really quickly i mean today's about lessons uh for the listeners as to you know where they should get good advice from but one of the uh, points that became really clear to me was that people should be getting independent advice not from one company that needs to sell their own product but they should be able to deal uh, as independently as humanly possible uh, with whatever is the best possible outcome for that particular client so uh, not only did I get into the industry in the late 80s because of my father's comment, uh, but I got out of uh, one of those tied agencies, if you like, at National Mutual in the early 90s uh, and went down an independent path and a client-centric path uh, very quickly from there. That's great. That's great background, Dave. And, and so that path into independence and giving advice, what, what was the difference there between, between that shift and... and what did you get out of that that change? Well, what I got out of it uh, when I was working for the few years in a tied group that only had a certain suite of products to sell was that you, you may be in many cases acting in the best interests of a client, but if you've only got a finite number of resources in your kit bag, so to speak, uh, there will be occasions when uh, you need a different product to marry up with the right client for, for whatever their goals and their needs are. So uh, th that to me uh, was, uh, I guess, an epiphany, but but quite obvious at the time. Uh, and that uh, sent me down the, the client-centric, the independent path from the early 90s. And, and, you know, that was the start of the journey and never really looking back from always acting in the best interests of your client. Um, and if there was any ever anything that got in your way from your ability to do, to do that. Uh, as an advisor, you've got an obligation to make a change to make sure you can always act in the best interests of your client or your prospective client. Just like a true profession should be, right? Absolutely. So David, you're not advising right now uh, to clients, uh, to mums and dads and families. Uh, what are you doing with yourself at the moment? Well, I'll come to that in a moment, but just to, to the point you made a, a few moments ago about a, what a true professional should do. I mean, I think it's worth reflecting that, mm. that lawyers have been around a long time, accountants have been around a long time, uh, financial advisors haven't been, and really the industry, uh, and I use the term industry, has been born from accounting, legal, stockbroking, insurance, and, and so what's developing is an emerging profession, but, but broadly the industry is going through three 
unique steps. Uh, it, it initially went through a step that was product-led and product-paid by way of commissions. And I think Australia is certainly leading the world uh, The world in, in this sense. Uh, phase two, Australia has gone through, and that is to be not product-led, but advice-led. Uh, and, and, and the switch is made under stage two from being commission uh, paid for advisors to, to uh, advice paid. Uh, or, or, or product paid by way of a fee. So the product still might be collected by way of a fee, but, but from the product, for example, assets under management fees. I mean, in my view, step three is where advisors globally will be recognised as a true profession. And that is advice led and advice paid. Uh, but, and when I say advice paid, that will be paid by way of an explicit fee based on time based on value based on some means that's fair and reasonable for the professional fair and reasonable for the for the client uh, but won't necessarily be based on the product or the assets under management or the amount of money the person's got to invest so i just wanted to touch on that because i don't think we're yet, there yet as a profession but certainly uh, we're getting close uh, in a number of cases. Uh, you know, I've known you a long time and, and you are as professional as anybody uh, that I would come across globally. Uh, but to answer the question as to what, uh, what I'm doing now. So uh, we sold our business in 2014. Um, I was 48 at the time, 54 now, and uh, with two reasonably young children, you think about what you want to do with the rest of your life. And uh, I guess you have an opportunity to reflect and to move from success to significance and, and try and do something that's uh, truly meaningful. Uh, not to say that advising wasn't. I loved advising for 26 years, but you have a, a point of inflection to make a decision. And I elected to go down the path of advising advisors. So for the last six years, um, I sat down with a blank piece of paper and thought, what would I like to be doing? Uh, what's my skill set? What's my passion? And I'm very, very passionate about people around the world getting the best po possible advice they can. Hence, I'm very happy to be here today to be talking to you. But yeah. I, I, wanted, I wanted to do something that was global in nature because my business for 26 years was based in Melbourne, Australia and didn't involve travel. So I wanted to do something that uh, involved travel. I wanted to do something that was... Um, I guess, for want, for want of a better term, wholesale, not retail. In other words, dealing with three or four clients at one time and not 50 or, or 80 clients at one time. Um, and uh, and I wanted to do something that was working with uh, advisors where I was able to leverage the impact that I could make on consumers around Australia and consumers around the world. So I set up a, a consultancy called Global Advisor Alpha. The global is global. Uh, the advisor is business to business dealing with advisors. Um, and, and the alpha is teaching advisors how they add real proper value and not necessarily value where they think they're adding value by picking stocks, by timing the market and doing many of those things that advisors have done um, as our industry has been born. So advising advisors is the short answer to Borgian. <laughs> mm, mm. Well, well, that's great. You know, it, it's, a, it's a lovely progression and uh, even when we did work together, you were, you know, certainly coaching uh, a lot of us advisors coming through and uh, it's a natural progression to expanding that into a larger influence uh, in, in the advice market. Well, I think, I think, about, any, I, I think, yeah. uh, I think, I think any good business person, uh, whether it's in financial advice or, or any other industry would recognize the value of coaches, mentors, uh, advisory boards, and in some cases boards, 
Uh, and so, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate enough to seek out a number of mentors in my career and uh, um, had some amazing uh, people that have helped me make some fantastic strategic decisions, uh, areas that I, I would never have considered would be uh, necessary or, or even required. But uh, so certainly happy to try and fulfill uh, those shoes for, for some uh, financial advisors that might uh, recognise they need that help as well. Mm, absolutely, and and there's so much, so much to learn. You, you mentioned the the shift from advisors focusing on, uh, you know, picking investments and and timing the market. The it's interesting, isn't it, that the the bulk of our investment industry is very focused on investing, and investments and investment products and it does cater to, to what people want or what people think they want. And part of the reason for this podcast is to try and help uh, listeners and a broader range of listeners and a broader range of people realise that there is so much more value to be gained by looking outside of that narrow that narrow view of, of just investing. Investing is very important and it's got to be done well, but um, far too much of our finance industry, not just financial advice, a lot of financial advice, but finance industry generally is focused on selling investments to people. So David, you know, we've spoken about this many, many times and you just, just mentioned earlier moving away from just that pure focus on investments to other things. Uh, it's, it's a great segue into one of the things that you talk a lot about that people, whether they're advisors, but even for our listeners, that the, the benefits of, of moving from below the line to above the line is the phrase that you use. So can, can you explain for our listeners what that means? Mm. Yes, yeah, certainly. So, so firstly, if there was one key word to take away today, that word would be value. Yeah, any consumer, any prospective client seeking advice from any professional, whether it's a, an obstetrician, whether it's a financial advisor, a lawyer, accountant, they should be looking for value. And that professional person should be capable of delivering value. And in most cases, they should be able to articulate that value. Now, recognising where our industries come from, our industries come primarily from stockbroking, accounting, uh, and a few other areas, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, and it's not just about the investment piece. It's, it's more broadly what I'd say about the product. Uh, and that product might be an investment. It might be an insurance policy, a mortgage. But our industries primarily come from a product-based environment. And People may or may, may or may not need a product, uh, but they certainly need advice to help them to get on track. So as I come to the analogy about above the line and below the line, below the line is, uh, is what I call the money, the product, the investment, the mortgage, the, the, the risk insurance product. And, and that may or may not be required, but what people really need is above the line. And that's, I talk about moving from product to people or from money to meaning, you know, why do you need that product? Why do you need that mortgage? Why do you need that uh, offset account? Why do you need that uh, investment? So typically what happens, I think, um, uh, because the mums and dads around the world and in Australia uh, think that financial advisors 
invest money and that's what they do, the question would be, hey, Taborjan, great to meet you. Um, you know, what do you do for a living? And not you because, uh, because you're different, but many financial advisors would say, oh, I'm a financial advisor. And the next question might be, well, that's great, uh, uh, Mr. Advisor, but what should I be investing in? Or is now the right time to be getting into the market? Because the perception of people is that's what financial advisors do. And so, unfortunately, what many financial advisors do is they, they say, well, they answer the question. They say, well, you should be buying Telstra shares or AMP shares or National Bank shares, or now's a good time to be getting to the market, or now's the right time to be getting out of the market because of COVID, rather than saying, well, I can talk to you about investments, I can talk to you about product, but before I do, can I ask you, why you're interested in investing some money. And so you're moving from the, the money to the meaning. You, you can't, you're moving to the real purpose. Um, and so coaches would say that's moving from the uh, implied need, the implied need of the investment, the stock, to the implicit need, uh, just simply by asking the why. And my experience is many financial advisors aren't Right at that conversation, they typically deliver what the client wants. The client really wants advice. The client needs us as professionals to give the best possible advice, acting in the best interest of that person. And so I think a really good analogy for the listeners to think about would be in the past, financial advisors have acted like, uh, you, know, you know, take this the right way for, for the analogy, financial advisors have acted like a travel agent trying to sell a ticket uh, for a plane, uh, rather than acting like a pilot, taking people on that journey to help them get to where they want to get to. And I think, you know, the good advisors have made that switch. They're now pilots. They're taking their clients on a journey after asking where they'd like to get to and recognising that, uh, life's not static. Things change in life. Uh, you know, goals, needs, objectives, situations, inheritance, marriage, divorce, kids, uh, the economy, COVID, lots of different things come and go and people's thinking can change. And so I, I was lucky enough to discover in seeking out mentors uh, in 1995, I discovered a mentor uh, in Birmingham in the UK of all places, um, the power of focusing above the line, the power of lifelong cash flow modelling that, that I'm sure we'll come to very shortly to model out somebody's financial life. And um, uh, well, you and I shared a CEO of our company who, uh, uh, the late Tony Fenning, who unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago. But, uh, you know, Tony was a great man, a great mentor, a great friend. And, and, and whilst I was acting on the words that I'm about to articulate, I... Um, you know, Tony's words that he taught me were the value proposition that we need to be delivering on is know our clients, um, know their families, you know, help them, simplify them, declutter them, help them to achieve what they want to achieve. And, and so I felt like because of the mentor in 95, I was delivering on that, but I only learnt the words that know me, know my family, understand me, help me simplify me, declutter me, remove my anxiety was taught to me by Tony. So I think broadly... If, if the listeners are seeking out financial advice, they should be seeking out, well, well frankly, it's their lives, it's, it's their, their situation. But my view is they should be seeking out someone that's going to really know them, know their families, understand them, help them, simplify them, declutter them, declutter them and, and remove their anxiety. So someone that's going to talk about the line. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm talking a bit too much to Borgian, but but psychologists would say that 
you know, financial people typically talk with their left brain. And the left brain is my below the line. The left brain is, is it's the money, the products, the investments, the shares, the market timing. And the right brain that the psychologists talk about is the emotion, the emotion of family, security, uh, goals. And so my experience is the more that we can move above the line, the more that we can talk right brain, the more that we can be using visuals to help people understand what's important to them uh, because it's their life, it's their circumstance, it's nobody else's. And uh, what's important to one person is not necessarily uh, to another. So broadly, what I'd say to the listeners is that they should understand that good financial advisors are really strong above the line and below the line, not just one or the other. Yeah, and the other analogy that comes to mind, uh, David, is a medical professional. So a really good medical professional takes the time to thoroughly diagnose with a patient. Uh, the patient comes in and says, oh, I've got a sore knee, can I have some Panadol? Uh, if the doctor just hands over some Panadol, he's probably, you know, uh, probably not doing doing the best service to the, to the patient. Uh, but a really good doctor, as most doctors would, will actually sit down, ask a whole lot of questions, thoroughly diagnose and understand what the patient is trying to achieve as well uh, from seeking medical advice. Uh, and uh, I guess that's how a professional operates. And, and, and taking that analogy, uh, interestingly enough, you, 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 you could make a very strong case and say uh, not only do doctors uh, not just offer a Panadol, but they, they prescribe pharmaceuticals and medicines that don't sell them. And so, you know, broadly, I, I think, you know, maybe slightly tongue-in-cheek, but take this in the spirit that this comment's intended. You know, financial advisors broadly are giving away for nothing what they should be charging for and charging for what they could be giving away for nothing. And so the real value is in that strategy and that advice. Uh, so you're absolutely spot on. Uh, five, 10, 20 years ago, advisors were leading with uh, a product uh, and selling that to a customer, but that's all completely changed 180 degrees. So today we don't lead with product, we lead with clients. And, and as you say, the best advisors run an amazing discovery meeting, asking questions that that uh, prospective client's probably never uh, been asked before. Uh, so hat number one is an amazing discovery. Hat number two is a strategy uh, to help them uh, get on track or stay on track. Uh, so, you know, know me, know my family, understand me, help me. Uh, so, you know, where do you want to get to today? Uh, uh, you know, where are you now? Where do you want to get to? And what strategies would we recommend in order that you, you're, you're going to get there in as risk, uh, as low a risk fashion as possible? And the third hat that advisors would wear today would be a product-based hat. Now, I'm not saying products are not important, but that's the final outcome of the whole process. We don't lead with that. You know that. I know that. Uh, the listeners should understand that things have changed. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, that second point you made, David, was a perfect segue into what we call interactive cash flow modelling uh, or lifelong cash flow modelling, something that we've done for many, many years. Uh, a, a lot of advisors do it. A, a lot of advisors do it behind the scenes uh, and, and do some calculations. Uh, what we have found extremely powerful is 
as part of that diagnosis, as part of that discovery, as part of that strategy development, working with the client in partnership and building out the strategy together and along the way adding depth to the strategy by having really deep conversations with the client and getting them to think about what if scenarios and things that they may not have even considered uh, as part of this lifelong cash flow modeling process. And uh, can you can you share with the listeners whether they, you know, whether it's an advisor that does it with them or whether they should even at least be thinking it, thinking about it for themselves, you know, this concept of planning for the future. Uh, can you can you please explain to the listeners this concept of lifelong cash flow modeling? Mm, sure. Well, uh, again, it comes back to the above the line and below the line. So, you know, many people would think a financial advisor acts below the line on the money, the product, the investments, the market timing, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the question that they typically first ask is what should I be investing in? Uh, and so let, let's say the question is, uh, you know, do you think I should be buying BHP or Rio? The question financial advisors sh- uh, should be asking is, well, I can help you with all of that. But before I help you with BHP or Rio or Telstra, Uh, why would you like to buy those? Oh, I'd like to get a good return. Well, why would you like to get a good return? In other words, what is it that you're trying to achieve? And so, you know, we we might be able to help somebody get a 4% return, a 6% per annum return, a 10% per annum return. Of course, we'd all like a higher return, not a lower return, but why? Why are we trying to achieve that return? How much risk do we need to take? Maybe we're already on track. Maybe maybe we just need to uh, circle the airport and land the plane carefully rather than trying to achieve something that's, uh, that's higher risk. And so broadly, what I'd say is life is a series of trade-offs. More of one thing typically means less of something else. And, and I guess the classic examples would be uh, working in retirement. Uh, some people might want to live in, uh, uh, you know, have a harbour view in Sydney, uh, and they might be working until they're 70 years of age. Other people might say, I'm happy to live in regional New South Wales and retire at 55. I mean, there's no right or wrong. Some might say, I want to send my kid to a private school and spend, you know, $30,000, $35,000 per year after tax per child. Others might say, uh, I'm happy to send them to the local state school and use that money to help them to get a deposit on a property. So there's, there's so many different trade-offs that we can talk about. It's not your decision as an advisor. It's not my decision as an advisor. It's our role to ask the questions because life is a series of trade-offs. And uh, people typically can't have it all. As I say, more of one thing typically means less of something else. Uh, at the end of the day, life is the sum of all people's choices and we just need to help them make those decisions wisely so that's where the lifelong cash flow modeling comes in so so david with with trade-offs uh the other classic line and it applies to probably 95 percent of the population maybe 99 percent of the population uh that that we can have anything we want we usually just can't have everything and so uh you know we need to make some choices and the, the best way for us to make the best choices for us is by understanding our purpose, what we're trying, understanding what we're trying to achieve, understanding why we want the things we want in life. And then through this lifelong cash flow modeling, understanding whether it's possible and what life might look like, depending on the things that we trade off each other. Yeah. So, so firstly, I think broadly, and it, it's not, it's not, 
a shot at people. It's just a fact. But but most people would spend more. Is only ten percent of Australians take financial advice today. And frankly, my experience in 31 years is that more people would spend more time uh, working on their vacation plans than they would on their financial plans. And so, you know, what we're talking about here is a collaborative financial advising process, not a financial, uh, not a not a, a financial product process, a, a collaborative financial advising process to work out where people are now, where they'd like to get to, what strategies we can put in place to help them achieve what's important to them. Uh, and it's not all about making money; it might be about protecting wealth, uh, asset protection. It could be about wills and estate planning, making sure their money goes where they'd like it to go if something goes wrong. Uh, but uh, it, it's really that that lifelong cash flow modelling is really mapping out the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And some people might say, how can you possibly predict uh, where you'd like to be in 20 or 30 or 40 years time? Well, well, the alternative to building a model uh, making some assumptions is not to make any assumptions at all. So we're not suggesting that at 40 years of age, someone knows precisely where they're going to be when they walk out of your office in 50 years time. Things change all the time. The economy changes, uh, you know, politicians and, and governments change, legislation changes, interest rates changes. So it's a little bit like driving two or three hours to a, a, a weekend home. You can put into Google Maps the path you're going down, but maybe there's going to be a roadblock. Maybe there's going to be an accident. Maybe we need to take a detour. So one of the companies I do some work with uh, uh, call this report that they produced the Polaris Report. The Polaris is an instrument uh, that a ship would use or a plane would use. So imagine that you're flying from Melbourne to, uh, to London. Um, as I understand it, the plane is only on track to London about 1% of the time, and it's constantly coming back on track. So, you know, this Polaris report that these financial advisors produce is just a report with their clients that they're producing each six months, 12 months, 18 months, or when there's some material change in circumstances to help them come back on track to what's important to them. Not what's important to me, not what's important to you, to Borgen, but what's important to them as things change in their lives. And, you know, when you look at the last 12 months, uh, you know, COVID's been a horrible time uh, for, for many people around the world, particularly Melbournians and Victorians have been particularly tough for some uh, on the mental health. Uh, but, uh, you know, you've had investment markets have been tough. People's thinking change along the way. And, and you touched on a really important point before, uh, to Borgen, it's not all about the goals and the aspirations. I mean, that's, that's really interesting and that's really important and they do change from time to time. But typically what doesn't change is people's values. And so when you ask people through this discovery process, what's important about money to them, there's normally some core themes that come through in that discovery meeting. And, and there's no right or wrong, but as an example, it might be that family's really, really important and security of their family is really important. Well, that's not about getting a return of 4% or 6% or 8%. That's about uh, advising us that what's really important to them is security for their family. So we need to build a plan that's going to deliver on what's the important values for that particular prospective client at the time. So really separating this notion of values and what's important uh, to goals and aspirations that can change over time, uh, depending on you know, births, deaths, inheritances, and all the other things that can change in people's lives. Absolutely. And so, David, we've been, we've run hundreds and hundreds of these uh, cash flow modeling sessions with clients live doing it. And so, you know, we're very familiar with that. 
and understand how it works and what it is. I'd just like to spell it out a little bit because some listeners would have no clue what we're even talking about. Some will, some will, but, but for those who don't, the cash flow model is basically building a complicated spreadsheet and showing, firstly, understanding the current position. So if you're listening to this and you want to do this for yourself, first, you need to know exactly what you've got right now. I'm, I'm staggered at the number of people that don't actually know what they've got. What are their assets? What are their liabilities? What are they worth? What's their income and what do they spend? So that's the first thing, just know your current position. Then taking that current position and with an understanding and a, and a guess, if you like, you know, guessing about the future, you know, how much do I think I'm gonna earn for the next however many years? How much do I think I'm gonna spend for the next however many years? Do I think I might put my kids through private schooling or not? Do I think I might want to travel and spend some money on holidays or not? Putting all these factors into the model to guess what the future might look like and at least getting an understanding of based on where I am today and based on what I think I might want to do for me and my family over the next 10, 20, 30 years, this is a guess about where I might end up. And as you said, it's it's a total guess. There's no way that we know where we're going to end up. But if you don't guess about the future, you just go blindly into the storm, don't you? So um, the first cut is taking your current position and looking at where you might end up. And once you do that, that first step is so powerful because then you can look at it and say, do I like the journey? Am I happy with the destination? Are there things that I can adjust along the way to align the journey and the destination with my values and with my purpose and where I want it to go. Yeah, so uh, agree with all that. I mean, I think you're being uh, a bit harsh on the word uh, guess. I mean, I, I take your point, but I think more than a guess, it, they're typically reasonable assumptions. And so, uh, you know, whether you said, you know, take a best guess, when would you like to work to, on a reasonable assumption, when would you like to retire? On a reasonable assumption, what's the evolution of income increases likely to be for you? On a reasonable assumption, when do you think your parents might pass away? And and, and obviously you would assume 95 or age 100, uh, not uh, age 75 or 80. Uh, on a reasonable assumption, uh, are you likely to receive an inheritance, et cetera, et cetera. So taking all of those reasonable assumptions, and that's going to show, uh, well, it shows one of three things. It either shows A, that we are a long way off track from being able to achieve our goals and aspirations. Uh, B, that we're marginally on track, but it's tight. Uh, or C, uh, that we've got an ocean of blue. We've got all these piles of cash that are accumulating in, in the latter years. Now, it doesn't matter whether it's A, B or C, they're all incredibly insightful. Yeah, if we're off track, let's get on, get on track. If things are tight, let's bunk it down, but stick to a strategy. Uh, if we've got oceans of, uh, of cash coming in uh, at age 60, 70 and 80, maybe we might like to travel more. Maybe we like, might like to go premium economy or business. Maybe we might like to help our kids get a deposit into the property market. Maybe we might like to make some uh, philanthropic decisions. So for me, it's incredibly enlightening to help people make educated decisions based on reasonable assumptions and, um, and so, you know, 
you know, 10 minutes ago, you mentioned that many advisors do this. I, I, you know, I'm sorry to say as an advisor to advisors, I mean, firstly, the good news is that Australia is probably leading the world in financial advice, you know, and I think you could thank the regulator, you could thank compulsory superannuation for Australia really having one of the, the greatest pension systems in the world. Um, but so, so around the world, you know, I do a lot of work in Hong Kong, Singapore, South Africa. Um, as an example, uh, you know, 20, 30 years behind where we are still selling products, still taking commissions. And the notion of lifelong cash flow modelling is not even a notion. It's not even a concept. And so when we talk about Australia and many advisors doing it, uh, I, I think that's being uh, kind. And, and I think that uh, many are realising they need to be adding, here comes that word again, they need to be adding more value to their clients and they're starting to work out what they can control as advisors and where they really add value. And so we'll, we'll come on to, I mean, we're talking a lot about the value above the line. There's absolutely value advisors can be delivering uh, below the line as well. And I'm sure we'll come to that in the, in the conversation shortly. But if I was to summarise what a really good financial advisor would bring to the table in a value proposition. It would be helping clients achieve their future lifestyle goals and aspirations. How do they do that? They do that by finding ways to help increase that income in some way, to help decrease expenses in some way, to help reduce taxation liabilities in a, in a legal way. So, you know, using superannuation that's tax sheltered as opposed to paying tax in, in, uh, in an ordinary account. Protecting assets, which may not be important today, but I, I had a client that, believe it or not, went from a net worth of $300,000 one year to a net worth of $550 million in 18 months' time. Uh, and... Uh, and a few years later, because the share price burst on his company, not only did he lose everything, um, but couldn't even pay the kids' school fees. So protecting assets is important. And, and then finally, ensuring security in any catastrophe, because it, it's unlikely a catastrophe might occur, but if it does, if this were to happen, would you be okay or wouldn't you be okay? So they're the five broad boxes that good advisors look at. But I do want to bring that conversation back to, yeah, in order that the client can achieve everything that's important to them. So increasing income is important, decreasing expenses is important, but what's more important is that a client's living their best possible life because uh, it doesn't matter whether it's you, Tabor, and me or, or our clients, this is not a dress rehearsal for another life. This is the only one we've got. And uh, you know, in that third example I mentioned a bit earlier about the, the the oceans of blue and the piles of cash that are coming out for someone that's got more than they need, um, maybe they could be doing something more with it. Maybe they could be doing something more fulfilling. Um, and that empowers them to know where they are today, where they'll be in five years, where they'll be in 10 years. Everybody wants to know their number. And yeah, another interesting point, sorry to, 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 to go on, but another interesting point is some people say, oh, that's really important for people to do cash flow modelling if they've got a net worth of half a million dollars or a million dollars or one and a half million dollars. In my experience, it doesn't matter whether you've got a net worth of 1 million, 5 million, 10 million, 20 million, 50 million. People adjust their lifestyles to their, uh, to their balance sheets, to their income. And so, whereas you know most people might be happy buying a new car worth forty or fifty or sixty thousand dollars, some people want to buy the latest electric Porsche worth two hundred thousand dollars. Some people want to 
uh, you know, by by bigger boats and smaller boats. You know, look at look at James Pack is a good example. He's got a you know two hundred three hundred million dollar boat. I mean, people adjust their lifestyles to their balance sheet and to their income. So uh, that's where the trade offs start to come in. Yeah, absolutely, David. I mean, the you look at some of the people that we've helped, uh, very wealthy people. Uh, some would argue they don't need advice. You know, they've got plenty of money. But when we start engaging with them at the level using cash flow modeling and at the level of values and purpose, it's amazing the shift that they can have in their lives. It's, uh, I, I don't think I'll be exaggerating if I said that it can be life-changing. Uh, people that are... Uh, you know, can shift that mindset and, and really understand what's important to them. And it's not, again, it's not for us to judge what they do. Some people want to, uh, you know, be able to spend a bit more if they've got more money. Uh, some people, you know, realize that they want to support causes that are really important to them. Philanthropy is an area that we do a lot of work in to help people make a difference in the world. If that's something that's important to them. And so, I can also think of a specific example of some clients, uh, some clients that uh, lovely people, some of my favorite clients. And uh, I remember working with them, uh, you know, many years ago and uh, working very hard in a, in a high profile consulting job. And, uh, you know, it was tough work. It was tough work. And uh, they were very intelligent, smart, sensible people, very good at saving. And they, uh, you know, we were building advice and we were building financial models and we were advising them strategically on all the things below the line on tax investing and all that sort of stuff that is very important to underpin what they're doing. But when we were having the conversations above the line about what's really important to them, we started building strategies to achieve things that they never thought were possible. And that's because we're all wired differently based on our own upbringing and our background and the way that we view money, our conservatism, our risk tolerance. And uh, this particular couple, lovely couple, were quite conservative. Um, and through the cash flow modeling process, we ended up uh, what I believe was life changing. Uh, he left his job, which he was, which was very stressful. He left it 10 years earlier than he was planning to. And he could have made a lot more money. But through this process of really understanding and having deep conversations with them, they soon saw that that was not what that was important to them and not what they wanted to do. Uh, he was someone that, that took uh, you know, flying lessons for many years. You know, 10 years after I started working with them, he retired 10 years earlier than he had planned. He went and bought a plane. They spent the next 12 months flying around Australia and just loving life. Uh, and, you know, that's just joyful to see that sort of change in, uh, you know, helping people to understand, you know, really what's important to them and helping people to make those decisions that they never would have done themselves because that's the way they're wired. You know, that's crazy. You know, if I can work, I should work forever. That's something that some people are, you know, ingrained, right? 
Well, as, as, as I said, it's not a dress rehearsal. Uh, everybody's got their number. And there are some people that say, one day I'd like to do this and one day I'd like to do that. For some people, that one day never eventuates. I mean, there are stories out there where people have said, one day I'm going to retire, one day I'm going to buy a boat, one day I'm going to take my grandson fishing. And they don't get a chance for that one day. So if we can empower people to make smart decisions, stop them from making stupid decisions. There are very, very few people I've met where through a good discovery conversation, I or you or, or another professional financial advisor couldn't add significant value for whatever fee we would need to charge. Very few people. As long as we can ask the right questions in a favourable environment to really determine what their values are, what the goals and aspirations are, and go through that strategy conversation. Uh, so, you know, we'll come on to purpose a bit later on in the conversation, I'm sure, as to why I'm doing what I'm doing. But when there's only 10% of people in Australia that are seeking advice, and not everybody's getting great advice, um, not all advisors are delivering on lifelong cash flow modelling. Uh, financial literacy is not great, as you say. Many people don't know where they are today, let alone where they want to get to, let alone whether they're on track or not on track. Uh, you know, there's so many opportunities for professional advisors out there to add significant value. Um, I'll quickly, quickly mention one story, if I may, you know, similar to Please. your story, but running a discovery meeting with a, uh, a young couple, uh, late 30s. Uh, uh, I won't mention the type of business they had. It was quite uh, specific, uh, but they were a young couple. Uh, it was in the manufacturing industry, uh, making one and a half to two million dollars a year. And, you know, other than asking about, you know, how they are and, and uh, the weather and the football and all those things we talk about at the start of a meeting, I asked uh, this couple, what's important about money to you? And there was a dead silence for 15 or 20 seconds. And I said, look, you know, again, there's no right, there's no right or wrong answer. It's not a, there's not a, there's not a, a right or wrong here. Uh, it's, I'm really interested in what's important about money to you dead silence for 15 or 20 seconds. And then tears start to roll down the, uh, the father's uh, cheeks. And you know, here's a guy, 38, making one and a half, two million dollars a year. You know, life's pretty good. And I said, uh, Mr. X, um, you know, everything okay? He said, David, you know, it was literally the first question I asked in, in the meeting. And he said to me, David, I was raised on a dairy farm in Gippsland. My youth was spent riding motorbikes and chasing cows, and I had the best childhood and upbringing I could possibly have. And it's just dawned on me by you asking that question that I haven't walked my kids to school, let alone taught them how to ride a motorbike or kick the football. So four years later, he sold that business for a lot of money and rang me to tell me that he bought a dairy farm in Gippsland and he was going to raise his kids the way that he was raised. And so that the power of asking the right question above the line uh, is just incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. Great story, Dave. Excellent. You mentioned earlier the importance of also getting below the line correct. Uh, I don't want to spend too long on that. We're you know, we've got plenty of uh, other episodes uh, and, and and so, you know, we might get you back in or, or you know, we've got other experts as well to talk about, you know, the, the plethora of uh, areas that below the line we need to talk about. But are there any 
are there any elements below the line that you specifically want to touch on that you think are really important for our listeners to uh, to think about? Well, a couple of things. I mean, firstly, I, I suspect that the overwhelming majority of advisors around the world would like to deliver the best possible outcomes for their clients. There's no doubt about that. But for me, uh, really peeling back this notion of client centricity and and from an investment perspective, there is just such overwhelming evidence in this day and age of the internet and the information age that tells us that the average stockbroker or the average asset manager that is trying to beat whatever benchmark, whatever index they're, they're trying to beat, that overwhelmingly they are detracting value against the return to which the investor's entitled. So in other words, if you take a, a forecasting manager that's trying to pick the right stocks, time the market, get in and get out and, and, and add some real value for that client with great intent, the evidence is overwhelming uh, that around 70 to 80% of those asset managers are detracting value against the benchmark. So what I say to financial advisors and what you and I were able to build in our company to add significant value to our clients was 180 degrees away from that. And that was to use an evidence-based approach. And an evidence-based approach is not it's not, there's nothing complicated about it. There's a lot of science around that, but it's using the factors of higher expected return and the evidence to be acting in our clients, uh, to, to be sitting on the same side of the table as our clients acting in their best interests and using science and evidence to build a portfolio that is more than likely to get the best possible outcome for them. So it's a lot to unpack in a conversation, but it's worth anyone that's investing money in Australia in any super fund with any financial advisor to get a second opinion uh, around whether that advisor is using an evidence-based approach. Um, it is not good enough in 2020-21 for any uh, person running a super fund or any uh, financial advisor to be say I, to be to be using the investment philosophy, uh, I reckon this and I reckon that, mm. because whatever I reckon may or may not be right. Show me the evidence. Show me the balance of probability. Take me back 50, 60, 80, 90 years in investment markets. Show me some of the best. Uh, research in the world, show me some PhDs, show me some Nobel Prize winners in economics that will tell me how to build the portfolio that will put the uh, the balance of probability in the clients uh, uh, on the client side. So broadly, what I'd say is a great advisor today is going to be delivering significant value below the line on the investment and the product side, significant value above the line, and, uh, and therefore, an amazing experience helping the clients to get on track and stay on track to achieve all that's important to them. That's fantastic, David. I guess it's all about bringing it back on the investment piece, having a, a sound investment philosophy backed by evidence, uh, not an I reckon portfolio or, uh, you know, picking uh Picking the past winners and all that sort of thing. We've, you know, we've all read the read the studies and seen the seen the results of, uh, you know, last year's winner is often next year's loser and that sort of stuff. So, uh, you, you know, trying to guess about the future just doesn't work, does it? So, um, I'd, 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 I'd make one one final mm, comment there, conscious of time, and and that is, you know, evidence is evidence, and if if you know now that we've got the internet and Google and, and access to so much more readily available information. 
what we find when we look at Morningstar data, Morningstar is a you know, global company based in Chicago, but uh, research, that, that, research a, company, a research yeah. company, yeah. yeah. And, and, and Morningstar tell us that in, in year 2000, 20 years ago, around 2% of money in the world, not just from mums and dads in super funds and mums and dads in their own individual portfolios, but sovereign wealth funds, large global pension funds, institutional money, about 2% of that money in year 2000 was invested using some form of evidence-based approach. Today, that figure is almost at 50%. So in 20 years, that's moved significantly. Why? Because the evidence tells us that all things being equal, lower costs and lower taxes will help to get performance a, a better outcome of performance uh, using an evidence-based approach and using the factors of higher expected return, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I could go on, uh, but but the point being the, there's an enormous amount of research and evidence out there for those that want to peel that onion back and have a really good look at it. Thank you, David. And uh, for, for all the listeners, uh, make sure you tune into future episodes. We're going to absolutely explore that in a hell of a lot more detail. As David said, uh, we could talk about this stuff a day. So we will do that over multiple episodes with uh, various people uh, from different backgrounds to talk about evidence-based in investing. So David, that's been a fantastic discussion, both about the importance of focusing above the line, uh, very much aligned with this podcast, which is all about purpose and taking that uh, solution focus from below the line up to the why and what you're trying to achieve and what's important to you. Uh, we've also touched on some of the, you know, a couple of the below the line things uh, uh, at a very broad level, which we will explore in future episodes. But David, I'd, uh, I'd just like to ask you, uh, as, as we finish up today, this is a podcast about values and purpose. And we know that different people has, have a different way about thinking about their purpose, which is exactly why uh, it's so important to ask very good questions, as you said. But our purpose and our, can also change as life changes. You know, when you're younger, you, there are different things that you focus on. And then, you know, as you age and become wiser, uh, your, your purpose but potentially changes. So based on your journey so far and the many experiences you've had, how do you think about your purpose right now? Well, I think the best way to think about that for the listeners is those that are familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And, and you know, the most basic needs is, you know, food, clothing and shelter. Um, but at the very pointy end of the triangle uh, is where you life has meaning. And so for me, when I was in an incredibly fortunate situation in 2014 to have uh, had our business taken over and sold that, with that blank canvas, you're in a situation to think about where you can add significant value and what that purpose might be. And, and I, I seriously thought about, you know, do you buy a yoga studio or a fishing charter business, you know, things that I'm interested in doing, mm. but then you realize very quickly, no, no, they're my hobbies. Um, what's my purpose? Well, what I know really well is financial advice. And what I'm able to do in moving from that one-to-one -one situation with prospective clients and, and, uh, and, and clients is, is in helping financial advisors to build that financial value proposition of the future, I'm able to deliver on my purpose. And that is to help, you know, we, we, so our purpose in, in my small consultancy is we help advisors to win 
by really helping their clients to win. So the advisors that we work with, we make sure that they, uh, the advisors have an amazing value proposition below the line that's evidence-based, an amazing proposition above the line. And so they're able to articulate and demonstrate real value to their clients. Uh, you know, the lack of financial literacy out there, the fact there's, uh, as I said before, only 10% of Australians are taking advice today. There's an enormous opportunity to help people make smart decisions, stop them from making stupid decisions. And the power in, in what I do now through my purpose is to leverage that through advisors. Uh, and each advisor might be able to look after 80 or 100 clients uh, at any particular time. So if I get if I, if I get my purpose right and I deliver on that, I'm able to, uh, to, go, to head, go to bed at night, put my head on the pillow and, and sleep knowing that at the end of the day, you're making a difference to people's lives through great people like you. That's fantastic, David. Uh, having an impact in other people's lives, you know, that, that as a purpose uh, sounds, uh, sounds fantastic and definitely resonates with me. Uh, I'm sure may resonate with a lot of our listeners as well. So, so thank you, David, after, you know, knowing you for many years, I'm, I'm so glad to be able to get you on to share your wisdom, your knowledge with uh, hopefully many, many people uh, who are our listeners. Uh, and so once again, thank you, uh, David Hines. Tabujan, uh, great to be here. Pleasure to help you. I know that uh, you're one of those financial advisors out there that's absolutely uh, got clients front and centre and uh, only too happy to help you anytime I can. So thanks for having me. Excellent. Thank you, David. See you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode. Our aim is to share the knowledge with as many people as possible. So please share it with everyone you know. And if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and visit our website, richwithpurpose.com.au to get access to all our free resources. See you next time.